Have, uh, have you ever seen the TV show Hoarders? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> Good. Uh, to, be honest, to be honest, I have not um, seen any more than a few clips because I think that watching an entire show would be just a bit too painful. Uh, now, it challenges our relationship with stuff. Uh, some of us tend to want to hold on to everything. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, some of us want to throw everything out. You know who you are as well. Uh, and both responses uh, really are an approach to what I think is a universal law in a consumeristic society. We could call it the second law of the thermodynamics of stuff. Uh, stuff always expands to fill the space available. And so you either have to hold on to it or you can get rid of it. The choice is yours. And now all of us stand on a longer spectrum. I've even noticed that it tends to skip generations. Often kind of the hoarder has a purger, the purger has a hoarder. It kind of, it, it kind of flits. And I realize even by considering this question, are you a hoarder or a purger, I'm kind of stirring up trouble um, here. I, various fights may ensue between spouses or parents and children. And uh, no one put me up to this, I should say. And my aim this morning is not to throw my weight behind either approach, just to make that clear. Because wherever you stand, I think we'd all agree that every now and again, at least, it's good to have a, a good spring clean. And if that is true of our bedrooms and our homes and our garages, um, it's certainly true of our spiritual lives also. Uh, over time, there is a natural drift, a natural entropy that sets in. We, we become blind to certain sinful habits, certain attitudes. Uh, flaws uh, in our character become like that unopened Amazon box that sits in your hallway. Uh, over time, you just get used to it. You just walk around it. You don't even notice it's there. Uh, and often it takes someone else, a visitor perhaps, to point it out. And so you begin to do something about it. And what is true of our personal lives is also true of our churches. Uh, here is a classic uh, principle of the Protestant Reformation. A reformed church is a church that is always reforming itself. Uh, you see, even as churches, we can develop unhealthy cultures. We can adopt certain rigid traditions and practices, things that, rather than helping advance the gospel and grow us as disciples of Christ, actually seem to get in the way. And so there is a time and a place for a good spring clean, uh, both physically and also spiritually. And why do I bring that up? Well, in one sense, it's what we see in our passage today. Uh, last week, Jesus was up in the north uh, region of Israel in Cana in Galilee. Uh, that's where he did his first sign, turning water into wine. Uh, but now he takes a trip down south to the capital to celebrate the Passover in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and on this trip, Jesus causes quite a stir. Uh, he visits the temple, and to put it politely, he doesn't quite like what he finds there. And so what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus cleans house. Uh, he acts in a dramatic way to address the abuse, the corruption uh, within the establishment in Israel. And as he does this, we begin to learn more about who Jesus is and why Jesus came. He came not only to address the corruption in the temple, but to deal with a bigger problem, uh, the corruption in our hearts because of sin, uh, the corruption that keeps us from coming to God, uh, the giant mountain of stuff that stands between us and him. Jesus came to bridge the gap between man and God, uh, to remove the barrier to man dwelling with God and God dwelling with his people. And to help us see that, I want to consider three things in our text. Uh, I want us to see, firstly, that Jesus cleans God's house. Jesus cleans God's house. And secondly, we'll see here that Jesus claims God's house. He claims God's house. 
And then thirdly and finally, Jesus replaces God's house. Uh, By which I mean, if we want to meet with God today, we don't go to a temple, we don't go to a special place, even to a church. Uh, No, the place we meet with God is through Jesus. And so then, firstly, uh, let's look at how Jesus cleans God's house. Uh, That is, he cleans God's house in just the same way that you might clean your house or perhaps your bedroom. He visits the temple, and what he's doing really is a good spring clean. He rids the temple of all the mess that had accumulated over the years. In John chapter 2, Jesus is purging. In verse 13, we read, don't we, that he goes over to celebrate the Passover of the Jews. He, He takes this trip down to Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem is the nation's spiritual and political epicenter at the time. It is a place that God himself chose for himself. And the Passover was really one of the most important times of the year. The Passover celebrated the Exodus, really the founding of this nation. And you could think of this perhaps like taking a a trip to Washington, D.C. on on July 4th or something similar. Uh, But what does Jesus Christ find uh, when he gets there at this important time in this all-important place? Uh, Well, we read in verse 14, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now, what exactly is going on? What are these people doing in the temple? Well, we have to remember, as I've just said, people, people have come to this city from all around, the nation of Israel and beyond. Once a year, they would take a pilgrimage to offer sacrifices to God, to eat together the Passover feast. And understandably, around this annual trip, a certain economy grew. Rather than bringing sacrifices, something that would be quite a challenge, people would pack up their bags and they would bring money instead. With all that foreign currency, certainly a currency exchange would be a great help. And if they wanted to offer sacrifices, well, someone had to actually sell them animals that they could offer. And so the salesmen, the money changers, it, really this seems to have become something of a well-oiled machine. It was, it was designed to help visiting worshippers. What I'm saying is, on the surface, it actually doesn't seem like there is anything underhanded or corrupt necessarily going on. Uh, what is simply going on here is that the economy had reflected the fact that people come here once a year and, and make sacrifices to God. Uh, which makes Jesus' response kind of shocking, doesn't it? It's even perhaps astonishing. Uh, Look at how he reacts to all of this in verse 15. Uh, Jesus seems to be enraged. We get pretty graphic language. You can imagine this. In verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple uh, with the sheep and the oxen. And then he picks up the money jars as the verse continues, and he pours out the coins of the money changers and and overturns their tables uh, and tells those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Now, let's be honest, I I wonder if this passage should come with a bit of a trigger warning. Uh, Perhaps uh, we could put in our Bibles a little line like that one that you see in in Netflix when you start to watch a show. Uh, Contains scenes of violence not suitable for sensitive audiences. And I joke, but in all seriousness, we look at this and we wonder, is Jesus just flying off the handle? Is this an ungodly fit of rage? I think this is particularly painful for some of us to see. Uh, Perhaps it even stirs up deep hurt over our own experiences. Uh, We witness this kind of uncontrollable rage. Perhaps we saw this from a parent or or from a spouse. And uh, some people even try and use passages like this to justify that kind of uh, uh, angry and rageful behavior. Uh, To do so is is really spiritually abusive, let's be clear. Uh, And let's be equally clear, that's not what's going on 
in this passage either. Now, there is nothing to suggest that Jesus is losing it, that he is out of control. Uh, sure, this is a very strong response, but, but I believe it's a measured response. This is a premeditated act. Uh, Jesus isn't so much being violent towards people. No, he's actually challenging the way that they have violated the temple. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have anything against even what they're doing, this system of trade, this system of exchange. Uh, no, the big problem for Jesus is where they are doing it. And that becomes clear in verse 16. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus explains himself. We don't have to wonder uh, what he's doing, what all of this means. Uh, And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Uh, Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Uh, He's telling them these things may be okay, but they have no place here, no place in the temple. Uh, That is why I say that Jesus cleans God's house. Uh, the temple needs to be cleaned up. It, it, it was never meant to be a mall. It was never meant to be a trading post. And no, the temple was meant to be a place to worship God, a place of sacrifice, a place of prayer. Uh, God himself had set the temple apart. Uh, this was meant to be the place on earth where heaven and earth meet. Uh, you could almost think of this as a kind of spiritual portal, uh, not in some sort of weird sci-fi way, I should add. Uh, no, but rather in a special way, God himself would say his, said his presence would dwell here uh, at this temple. Uh, and this is exactly why sacrifices would be offered there. Uh, this is why people were meant to come here for feasts like Passover. Uh, and sure, there may be all kinds of ways to help people and, and serve people when they do. But by bringing all of this into the temple, it showed that they'd missed the point. It showed that the glory of God had been replaced by purely economic concerns. They were just going through the motions following the law uh, in a very rote kind of way. Uh, Keeping the Passover, yes, but the heart of it all was gone. It it had become a a commercial or a cultural thing. I mean, it's hard not to see the parallels with our own society, with Christmas, with Easter. Uh, Try to cancel those and you'd probably destroy the whole economy. And yet here is the big problem. God himself is being leveraged for profit. What is the temple for? Making money or serving God? As Jesus himself said, you can't serve uh, two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Economics is what it had become all about. And uh, that has a certain contemporary ring to it, doesn't it? Uh, Is this not what everything has become about? Uh, Today, everything in the world today seems to run like a business, from schools to hospitals. It's all about the bottom line. And I have to say that's one thing, but here is a a greater tragedy, uh, that the same thing even happens with churches. Uh, Churches can be run like businesses too. Uh, We can fall into this trap of of marketing God, seeing the gospel as a product that has to be pushed with good advertising. And when we do this, we domesticate the living God. Uh, We turn him into a product to sell. Uh, The gospel is no longer a life and death call. Instead, evangelism just becomes a sale pitch, a sales pitch, a way to get people into pews. Uh, Now, this is a danger, isn't it, when we think about making strategic plans. In fact, maybe even the fact that we have a strategic plan, you're the kind of person that makes you feel just a little bit nervous. And I think it should, in one sense, if the plan is all about increasing the bottom line or, or raising our attendance numbers. Uh, just to be clear, it isn't that. It's, it never was about that. It's a plan to be more effective in serving the Lord. And yet this is a danger, isn't it? This is why Jesus' response is so strong. 
And this is why, in one sense, he is enraged by what he sees in God's temple. Uh, To treat God's house, God's holy things like this, uh, as just something to trade, it is the very height of idolatry. And so Jesus cleans God's house. He, He throws out everything there that doesn't belong. And for Jesus, these things just shouldn't be there. They, they, they need to be trashed. The temple is full of filth as he sees these things in the temple. It's kind of like that half-eaten candy wrapper under your bed that's growing mold and has started to smell. And in the same way, Jesus is committed to cleaning God's house today. I think this is something, uh, this points to it. It shows us Jesus' commitment to the purity of his church. Read the New Testament and you'll see again and again Jesus is is passionate about this, about the purity of his people. It it enrages him when he sees the things of God abused. And isn't that good news? As we think about the state of the church, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to care. And you have to wonder, don't you, if Jesus was to visit uh, many of the churches in America today, maybe even ours, would he find some things to drive out? Would he find some tables that needed to be overturned? Uh, We easily make the church into a business. It's so easy to peddle the word of God for profit. Uh, Have we put economic concerns above people's spiritual welfare? Uh, That's a question we have to ask ourselves, isn't it? And if so, we have to remember, Jesus cleans God's house. Uh, Jesus cleans God's house. And and let's be honest, it's not just the church that needs cleansing either. Uh, Think about our own personal lives. Think about your own uh, life, your spiritual life. Uh, The Bible, after all, calls our bodies the temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But how are we using the temple? Uh, What dominates your mind and your heart from day to day? Are you driven by the glory of God or are you driven by some other concern? If so, then, then what Jesus does and says here is a challenge, not just to the religious establishment. No, it's a challenge to, to each of us personally. As Jesus cleans God's house, he exposes the fact that we need to be cleaned as well. And so then, firstly, we see Jesus cleans God's house. But that's not all, because secondly, we see here that Jesus claims God's house as well. He claims God's house. Uh, What I mean is this, Jesus, by acting this way, claims the temple as his own. I mean, think about this for a moment. Uh, Jesus really is doing a pretty outrageous thing. Imagine that I came over to your house this afternoon and and I brought a crew with me and we just walked in, uh, uninvited, and we started moving things around, taking down pictures, replacing and removing your furniture. Now, after you'd called the police, uh, what would you think? Well, maybe you would say, look, you're out of your mind. This is my house. Uh, What right do you have to come in here and and mess everything up? Uh, And yet that seems to be exactly what the Jewish leaders say to Jesus down there in verse 18. And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Uh, Basically, who who do you think you are? Uh, Who said you could just blitz in and turn everything upside down? I mean, this is like uh, your sibling coming into your bedroom and, uh, and, and messing everything up, making it their own. It's a fair question, isn't it? One of the leaders, uh, one, that, one that the leaders really are bound to ask. Uh, Jesus is being very provocative here by, by, by doing such a, an open and public thing. Uh, and it's a question that we should ask. Why is Jesus doing this? And it underscores the significance not only of Jesus' actions, but, but, but also look at how he describes the temple. Uh, look at verse 17. Uh, Take these things away, he says. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. 
Jesus calls the temple his father's house. He's saying that he's the heir. This temple is mine and he's here to enforce the will of his father. In fact, change the scenario that I mentioned a moment ago and imagine uh, uh, the scenario about me coming to your house and imagine something a little different. Uh, Imagine you come home to your own house. You'd been away for a few weeks on vacation. Uh, And when you get there, you're surprised. You see the lights on. Someone's home. And you open the door and you find your stuff is gone and, and someone else has moved in. It's just kind of, you don't even recognize the place. What would you do? Well, again, after you'd called the police, you might say, what are you doing here? This is my, my house. Get, get your stuff out of here. Well, in one sense, that is what Jesus is doing in this passage. That is how we could understand this, this cleansing of the temple. Uh, Jesus cleans God's house uh, because he, he's really making this claim. This house belongs to me. This house belongs to my father. Uh, he's telling us that it's his prerogative to decide what goes on. In, in another words, we could really say Jesus is claiming to be God. Uh, Jesus is claiming to do what only God can do. Uh, we see that in his miracles, for sure. Jesus can do only what God can do, but, but he, now he's doing what only God has a right to do. Uh, in fact, what God had promised he would do. Uh, we read about it just earlier in Malachi. You see, in the time of Malachi, the temple had also become corrupt and abused and, and full of filth. And what did God say that he would do? He says this, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And what will he do when he comes? Well, he'll clean house. As we read in Malachi 3 verse 2, he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify God's people. And here he is in John chapter 2. This is God coming to his temple. This is God, the word made flesh. God is here. He's visiting Jerusalem during the Passover time. And he's come to clean God's house. He's come to stake a claim on what is rightfully his. And listen, in one sense, even this morning, he does the same with each one of us. You see, if Jesus is God, if that's what this shows, then it it means he's not just uh, got a claim on the temple. It means he's got a claim on your life also. Does Jesus show up? Uh, doesn't Jesus show up into our lives uninvited with these words when you think of this? And consider how Jesus started his ministry. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, now, what does that mean? Let me translate that, repent. It means you're wrong. That's what it means. You're wrong. Stop living life the way you're living. You're doing it all wrong. Now, stop living life your own way for yourself with your own goals, your own priorities. Instead, the kingdom of God is at hand, so bow the knee to me. Embrace my uh, new and better kingdom. Uh, It's certainly a countercultural thing to say today, isn't it? Uh, So much uh, so that we're confronted with these claims of Christ and uh, and we feel perhaps a little bit like these Jewish leaders. Uh, What is Jesus doing? Invading my house, moving things around. What right does he have to do such a thing? Uh, But if Jesus Christ truly is good, then, then he does have a right, isn't he? He has a right because he made you. Actually, you're not your own. He made you, your mind, your body, your soul. You belong to him. And the problem is we've all done our best to displace him from our lives uh, or to replace him with other things. Uh, But here he comes, uh, not just to the temple, but to us with boldness. Sometimes it even feels like he's coming with a whip of cords uh, and he comes to stake his claim, not just on the temple, but on us 
You see, this cleansing of the temple points to the fact that Jesus not just cleans the temple, but cleans us and also stakes a claim on us. And we should say this as well. He does this in love. He does this in grace. He does it uh, even though at times it it can feel painful. Uh, Jesus could come and and destroy us for our rebellion. And that is what we deserve. But he doesn't do that. No, instead he came from heaven to earth. He took on human flesh, uh, not to crush us, but to save us. And we get a picture of that as he comes to the temple now. Uh, Both cleansing it and staking his claim on it. Uh, Jesus comes to clean God's house. Jesus comes to claim God's house. Uh, But that brings us to the final point, because thirdly and finally, let's consider how Jesus replaces God's house. Uh, Jesus replaces God's house. What do I mean by that? Uh, Well, as I said before, the temple was symbolically the place that God dwelled on earth. It it served as a bridge, a bridge between heaven and earth. Uh, Through sacrifices in the temple, sinful men and women could now approach God. Through the priest in the temple, God mediated his grace and his presence to his people. But what I'm saying is this, Jesus replaces the temple. In other words, Jesus Christ himself now serves that role. Jesus is the bridge between man and God. He is the portal between heaven and earth. Now, when you think about this, this idea that Jesus replaces the temple is a bit of a surprise given what we've said so far. If Jesus came to cleanse and to clean the temple, what might we expect to happen next? Wouldn't we expect Jesus Christ to move in, to set up shop? I mean, he could have focused his efforts on on bringing Israel back from the brink. He could have established a whole ministry on reforming the temple. And yet Jesus doesn't do that at all. The rest of the uh, Gospel of John is not how he set up shop there and and started organizing a, a new and refreshed temple ministry. No, actually, he begins to talk about tearing the temple down. Uh, Look down at verse 18 with me. At first, the Jewish leaders challenged Jesus' authority. uh, So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Uh, But look at how Jesus answers. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, on the surface, that would actually be a pretty incredible sign. uh, uh, But I very much doubt that these Jewish leaders are about to call Jesus' bluff. As the Jews point out, it took 46 years to build this grand edifice around them. To raise it up in three days, that would be frankly unbelievable. Uh, But it turns out Jesus wasn't talking about that temple structure at all. No, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying this earthly temple in Jerusalem has reached its end of life. It served its purpose in God's plan. And now a new and better temple is here to which this temple points. And what is this new and better temple? Well, verse 21 tells us, although neither the Jewish leaders nor the disciples appear to have understood at the time. According to verse 21, he was talking about the temple of his body, the temple of his body. What an amazing phrase. In other words, if the temple is the dwelling place of God, if it's where God meets man, what greater temple could there be than this? God himself dwelling in the flesh, God, the eternal word who took on our humanity. You see, Jesus is the true meeting place of heaven and earth. Uh, Sure, God had manifest his presence in the temple in a special sense, uh, but but had anyone ever met God there face to face? Uh, No, in fact, we read back in John chapter 1 that no one has ever seen God face to face, and yet, who is Jesus and why is he here? Well, he's the only son at the Father's side, and he's come to make God truly known. 
You see, the reason Jesus cleanses and claims the temple isn't so that he can reform it at all. No, it's so that he can replace it. Uh, You could think about it this way. Jesus Christ came to restore the temple to its original purpose. But but what was that purpose? Uh, Well, the temple was always meant to be a picture. It was meant to be a portrait that points us to Christ. Uh, And yet that picture had become marred and distorted over the years as they'd accumulated all of this this dirt. Uh, But now that the reality is here, now that Jesus Christ has come, uh, we no longer need that picture. If you want to meet with God, you no longer have to go to a special place. Uh, and even as I say that, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, of a very interesting situation I found myself in a, a, just a few years ago. Uh, several years ago, I was leading a, a young adults retreat up in Connecticut. Uh, we had rented out a camp uh, for this uh, event. And to be honest, the facilities left uh, a little bit to be desired. It wasn't the most comfortable place to stay. Uh, and uh, anyway, at the start of the retreat, one of the camp staff gave us a brief orientation. And uh, they did the usual things, told us when the meals were served and where everything was. And then at the close, they began to describe this. They began to sta- describe how this camp was uh, a very holy and special place. Uh, you are standing on holy ground. Uh, that is what they said. Uh, And I have to say, it it met with a few snickers from the members of the the group that I was with. They started to kind of laugh and and giggle. Uh, I'm sure they were thinking, look, if this is holy ground, then maybe you should fix the heating system or something. And now in all seriousness, I think those those giggles were warranted in this sense, uh, that now Jesus Christ has come. There is no such thing as holy ground. There is no such thing as as a holy place. Uh, Sure, people might have had life-changing experiences on that camp, but now Jesus is here. They can have life-changing experiences anywhere and everywhere. Uh, We no longer have to go to a special place to meet with God. How how great this is. We don't have to load up our bags and take a trip over to Jerusalem. Uh, No, the bridge between man and God is no longer a place. It is now a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And that is what I mean when I say Jesus replaces the temple. I mean that Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the way that we meet with God. He's bridged the gap. And so, in fact, let's step back and and consider what we said. Because Jesus' cleansing and claiming and now replacing the temple actually provides us with a glorious picture of his whole mission, of of the very gospel. Firstly, in cleansing the temple, Jesus exposes our sin. Jesus demonstrates that that we don't give God pride of place in our lives. In fact, we're so corrupt that even when he gives us something great like a temple, we we mess it up completely. And Jesus has come, first of all, to expose that fact. He's come to deal with our sin. And secondly, he's come to stake a claim, to stake a claim not only on the temple but on our lives. He's come to call us back to him. He is God. He's Lord. He's come to call us back. And yet this final point, I think, reveals an even more glorious truth. The replacement of the temple points to the good news. You see, the temple failed. It never really bridged that gap. Just like the law, the temple just revealed our sin. All it did was really draw out our filth. But Jesus comes not to destroy us, but to provide a new and better temple. Just as we saw last week, he came to provide new and better wine. Uh, Jesus is able to bridge the gap the temple could never bridge. Uh, Jesus can truly bring us to God. 
And how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, firstly, by coming to earth at all, uh, by being God in the flesh. But not just by coming, but rather by coming for a specific purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, we we see that when we consider what will happen to this temple of his body. What is the sign that Jesus will give? What is the sign that he has the authority to do all this? Well, the answer is clear. It's the sign of his death, isn't it? He says he must be torn down and destroyed. And having been torn down and destroyed, he will rise again, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Uh, Jesus is telling us this, that the only way for us to meet with God is through his own life, his death, his resurrection. Uh, Only through Jesus' death can we truly be cleansed. Only as he's raised does he truly stake his claim on us. Uh, Only as he sits now, exalted in heaven, can he bring us to God. In all of this, Jesus Christ becomes to us the true and living temple. Uh, Jesus came to clean house. Uh, Not to clean up your basement or your garage. Uh, No, but Jesus came to clean house by removing the mess that stands between man and God. He came to make it possible for for man to dwell with God and God to dwell with man. Uh, And through Jesus Christ, you can now know that. I mean, as you consider your life, possibly you feel like uh, uh, now actually is a good time for some spring cleaning. Uh, You consider your life and you think of everything that's kind of uh, uh, accrued, all of the the mess, all of the filth uh, that's stored in the corners. Uh, But Jesus Christ can clean house. He can claim you as his own. Uh, He has provided a way to God. Uh, When you trust him by his spirit, he, he will dwell in your heart. Uh, And on that last day, he will take you to dwell with him forever. And so the key thing today is not this. It's not whether you are a hoarder or a purger. Uh, No, the key thing is whether you've been cleansed and claimed by Jesus Christ. Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? If so, then you have free access to God. Uh, No matter what junk there is in the basement of your life, God, by his grace, can cleanse you and forgive you. So come to him. Come to him for the first time or come to him for the thousandth time and ask him to cleanse you. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, this picture of Jesus Christ uh, cleansing the temple, uh, purifying the place where you would dwell. Uh, Thank you for this picture of him claiming that temple uh, as his own and and ultimately replacing it with something better, something that works. Uh, Thank you that in Christ we have free access to God. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would encourage us with that today. Lord, help each of us know your cleansing. And even now as we come to this supper, the reassures us of these things, strengthen our hearts uh, and strengthen and nourish us. Uh, Nourish us in faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.